Chicago Public Schools is the third largest school district in the United States, and their goal as stated on their website is, Chicago Public Schools is committed to providing a high-quality education to all students and preparing them for success in college, career, and civic life. Unfortunately, CPS has had troubles trying to accomplish this goal. CPS has tried to tackle funding problems by implementing various formulas throughout the years. The goal CPS has had was to find an equal formula for all schools. They soon realized that an equal formula was not the solution, rather to find a formula that is equal and takes into consideration that schools and districts vary in need. Sadly, this needed formula would uncover a deeper problem. Before we analyze the formula CPS has used, we must understand the severity of underfunded schools. Chicago public schools are underfunded and as a result, negatively impact the type of education children get, specifically districts with lower income families. According to the Chicago Public Education Fund, the state's new formula revealed that Chicago public schools has only 66% of the funding it needs to adequately serve the more than 355,000 students in its schools every day. This means, as CPEF states, CPS would need an additional $2 billion annually. One specific example of underfunding in CPS is that of a North Lawndale school which serves an all-black, high-poverty student population. According to WBEZ News, Emily Penn, a social worker, revealed that for two years, students did not have a special education teacher. And to top that off, a substitute teacher was also not available. The social worker also points out her other school with mostly white and middle-class students got two additional special education teacher positions mid-year and was able to fill them within a few months. This is a clear example of underfunding and the correlation between the amount of money a school gets and the level of income these families have. Clearly, the school with a white population and middle-class families got an advantage. This is an outright example of racial disparity. Furthermore, a WBEZ analysis shows last school year almost a third of 520 schools 152 had at least one regular education or special education teacher position open all year long. WBEZ also interviewed 18-year-old Chris Hernandez from Gage Park High School, an all-low-income school serving kids of color, who said her sophomore year English class had no teacher, students didn't know who was grading their papers, and as a result, many of her classmates failed the class. According to the American University School of Education, school funding issues are a major problem with direct links to student achievement levels. Schools often can't offer small classes and better programs, see lower student achievement, creating a socioeconomic and education. In other words, schools for lower income families are often held back from their students reaching their full potential. Not only is lack of teachers a problem in CPS, there is also a huge problem with infrastructures in schools. The American Society of Civil Engineers graded America's public K-12 infrastructures a D-plus in their 2021 Infrastructure Report card. This report states, 53% of public school districts report the need to update or replace multiple building systems, including HVAC systems. More than one-third of public schools have portable buildings due to capacity constraints with 45% of these portable buildings in poor or fair condition. 
This reminds me of my own time in elementary school and high school. I recall during elementary, the washrooms were always closed and only two to three washrooms worked. And if one of them worked, they probably did not close. Two to three washrooms seems like a lot, but not when every girl went to the washroom during room exchange. Girls also have their periods, which for those that don't know, makes going to the washroom very long. The washrooms were constantly flooding and there would be times where washrooms worked, but there was no toilet paper. During high school, I recall washrooms flooding and also not closing properly. We would have to use paper to stack between the doors to keep the door closed or to have our friends hold the door closed. I also recall the roof of my high school bridge flying off and the only reason that was fixed was because Chance the Rapper gave our school $10,000, which bless him. To understand how these problems came to be, we must understand how CPS budgeting works. The following information on previous formulas and funding information is from the CPS School Funding Working Group 2020 April Report. According to CPS, before 2014, the quota model was used to determine how much money schools receive. This meant that the school's enrollment determined the amount of teachers' positions given. This was based on a student-to-teacher ratio. In other words, based on the number of students, principals received a predetermined amount of money. Unfortunately, this came with a lot of potential flaws. If, for example, one year a school drops its enrollment, then the principal would have no time to assess and deal with the budget cut. This formula limited principals' flexibility for other expenses as well. Although it should be mentioned that not always did more enrollment mean more money, as the ratio was not a direct one-to-one basis. Throughout 2014 and 2018, CPS implemented the student-based budgeting. This was a weighted per-pupil formula which worked by giving each student a weight based on diverse learner status and grade level. The school would then receive money based on these weights and then the SVB rate. This formula allowed for principals to use the money at their discretion and with more flexibility. The flaws with this formula was it still connected to the amount of enrollment and still had a lack of equity that did not consider the varying levels of need in certain districts and schools. This leads to the new modified SBB implemented in 2019 until present. There are several key changes to the SBB formula. One is the introduction of a poverty metric which would allocate funds based on the number of low-income students at each school. Second, enrollment-based allocations would not be based on projected enrollment but rather on last year's 20th day of enrollment. CPS also created two additional funds like equity grants. CPS also changed back to the practice of allocating special education teachers rather than dollar allocations. Although this new formula tackled the issues of equity and the varying needs of schools, we are left with a deeper flaw in the system. CPS receives insufficient local, state, and federal funding. This new formula estimates we need more than millions of dollars to properly fund schools for which CPS does not have the money for. CPS now has the correct idea and now fully understands the funding needed, but the core of the problem is CPS needs more money. Now that we understand the formula CPS has implemented throughout the years, we must tackle the next question. Where does CPS get the funding from? CPS gets local, state, and federal funding. Let's first analyze CPS and the local funding it receives. Property taxes are what makes up 84% of the local revenue CPS acquires. 
property taxes are a reliable, stable source of revenue of which we still don't know how COVID will affect, but in previous years, this source of re revenue is always dependable. This type of funding is also progressive, meaning that the large portion of taxes are paid by wealthy individuals. Although CPS points out that since it's a stable revenue, that means that the revenue is a set amount, meaning there is no increase or decrease of revenue, which is unfortunate when the situation calls for more money needed for CPS. Furthermore, according to the CPS 2020 report, beginning in 1994, CPS property taxes are constrained by the property tax extension limitation law, which effectively holds the increase in CPS property tax revenue to the rate of inflation each year, meaning CPS can't increase property taxes. One possible solution CPS states is reimagining the role of tax increment financing within the city of Chicago. The second source of revenue is state funding. The state of Illinois has adopted the evidence-based funding, which uses goals or set rules to determine how much more money is going to be given. Although this money still falls short, there is also teacher pensions funding inequalities as well that are adding to the problem. There is also fiscal constraints. CPS states another possible solution is the passing of graduated income tax structure. Lastly, there is federal funding, and CPS states that categorical funds continue to decline. Although, in response to COVID-19, all schools will receive additional funding through the CARES Act, which would be about $205 million. In summary, CPS is underfunded, and I would propose solutions of my own if I knew how economics and money works.